0: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
1: I don't want you as a Christian who has received the greatest gift that anyone can ever receive to walk through each day of the week morbidly obsessing over, am I saved, am I not saved? I want you to be careful. Do not underestimate the power of God to save and to keep you in his kingdom. I want you to rejoice in the assurance of your salvation as a fact and not a feeling.
0: Every chain of the past, you've
1: broken into all the fear of the lies. We're singing the truth that nothing is impossible with
0: you. Oh,
1: impossible.
0: Hello and welcome to today's edition of Grace to Live with Pastor Keith Crosby lead pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us here on the broadcast today, studying God's Word. We would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, we'll be continuing with our Decoding Jesus teaching series. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us again to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
1: Turn your Bibles to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, we continue our series on the Gospel of John. And really, what we're going to do today is camp on one verse. I know I've been covering big swaths of Scripture as we've done this survey of John's Gospel. But today, we're basically going to be in John three thirty six. And what this is, is we've, you know, had this little mini-series within this series, Decoding Jesus, and we've spent the last couple of weeks on The Message of Jesus, Parts 1 and 2. This is the message of Jesus, part three, and after this we go back to what we've been doing, but this is a really critical verse, because this, is, this verse, let me just read it for you, John 3:36. whoever believes in the Son has life, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This is the message of Jesus in a sentence. This is the last verse in chapter three, and it perfectly summarizes chapter three. And I just want to walk you through some of the key elements of chapter 3 so you'll know how we got here. In John 3, 3, we read, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In verse 6, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Verse 14 and 15, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. And then we jump to John three thirty-six: Whoever believes in the Son has life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Basically, the message of Jesus is faith in Christ is salvation, brings salvation. But sometimes, some of us, sometimes people say, but what if my faith isn't real? What if... What does it mean to have faith in Christ? What does it mean? How can I be assured of my salvation? And John 3.36, among other things, deals with the assurance of salvation. People want to be sure that they're saved. I mean, after all, you'd hate to die and find out that you weren't. And so we, we look at John 3.36 and we say, what does this have to do with the assurance of salvation? What is assurance of salvation? What does it mean to have assurance of salvation? what determines our assurance is it feelings is it the opinion of others is there a perfect prescription or some standard or some recipe and I have to tell you that when I was a young father and I'm an old father but when I was a younger father and I had my little bambinas you know I was very much wanting to be assured of their salvation you know as parents we want to spend eternity with our children and 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 this was a big deal for me you know, there's this huge desire to know that your child knows the Lord, and there's a certain degree of anxiety or fear sometimes. And even in adults, when it comes to their assurance of salvation, and in John 3, particularly in verse 336, you have the punctuation mark, it's an exclamation mark, that really ends John 3, and it is the message of Jesus and the gospel. And this, with this verse, I want to encourage you today that you can know that you have assurance of salvation I want to engage you into thinking about where you stand with the Lord particularly since it's communion Sunday and, and John three thirty six is that verse which really helps us to clarify all this in a single sentence now it's a verse too that scares people sometimes or it, people shy away from it because it says you know the ones who who puts faith in Christ has life eternal but the one who doesn't obey will not see life but the wrath of God remains on him right I mean, that's a scary thought. But it's a summary of the entire chapter. And you know what? You probably noticed that we did a a big jump. We jumped over this whole discussion between John the Baptist and one of his uh, disciples about Jesus. and this. But it really summarizes everything John the Baptist had to say as well. And what I'd like to do today is to talk to you about your assurance of salvation so that you can understand what assurance is. Because the idea of assurance today is so confused. And and so from John 3.36, I want us to understand four realities about the message of Jesus that that relates to the assurance of salvation so that you can encourage and engage yourself and others in understanding this. Because today, so often in the last 50 or 75 years, the church, somewhat evangelized by the culture, has begun to redefine terms like Christian liberty as doing anything I want to whenever I want to, that's not Christian liberty. Christian liberty is freedom from sin. Freedom from the besetting power of sin. And, and, and assurance of salvation isn't a feeling that you have. It's a fact. You know, we think of it, oh, I feel saved. You know, I could feel like a blonde, but that wouldn't make it so. And so what I want to do today is look at this verse and unpack and distill and share with you four realities about the assurance of salvation so that you can think rightly about it. And the first reality is this. The first reality you need to understand is that your assurance of salvation as one who is born again or even the assurance of salvation your child may have is based upon facts, not feelings. I want you to rejoice in the assurance of salvation as a fact, not a feeling. And where do we see that it's a fact and not a feeling? We see it in John 3.36. It's right there. Call it 3.36a. Whoever believes in the Son... Has eternal life. That's a statement of fact. And the word there for believe is the word comes from the Greek verb pestuo, which means to exercise or have faith. So you could also read it whoever faiths in the Son has eternal life. That's a fact. And so you have to ask and answer in your own mind, in your own heart Have I put my faith in Christ? Have I believed in the only Son? Have I put my faith in Christ? Do I believe? Have I believed on the name of the Son of God? And if you have trusted Christ, if you really have trusted Christ, then you can be assured of your salvation no matter how you feel on any given day. In verses 12 and 13 of chapter 1, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. The word right here means power, the ability. The bottom line is if you trusted Christ, you're his. You are a child of God. You're not born through earning your salvation, you know, the will of the flesh or the will of man or the efforts of man. You're not born again, born from above because of who your mom or dad was. You're born of God. And because you're born of God, your salvation is a fact and not a feeling if you've trusted Christ. Jesus says this again and again throughout the gospels. He says it in John's gospel, and we see it here in John 5:24. What does it say in John 5:24? Truly, truly, that's where he's calling attention to a very important point. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him that sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed. But has passed. Past tense. But has passed from lo- from death to life. There's your assurance. It's a completed event. Once you have trusted Christ, your eternal home is assured. You have passed. Past tense from death into life. Assurance is a reality, is a fact for anyone who has trusted Christ for their eternal life. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Now some people go, but wait a minute, you know, I I just don't feel it. You know, I don't want you to misunderstand anything. It doesn't mean you're not gonna have good days and bad days. It doesn't mean that you're not gonna have days where you're like, I sure am glad I'm a Christian, or days where you say, Man, how could I think and act that way and be a Christian? I wonder if I'm saved. There's not going to be times where you don't go wobbly. You know, those days are going to come. In fact, we see it in the Bible. You may remember the story of the man, the historical account, the account of the man whose son was demon-possessed. And the boy would throw himself into the fire and, and, and grit his teeth and everything. The demon would do that whenever anyone tried to help the boy. And he brings his son to Jesus, and he puts his faith in Christ, and, and Christ is about to exorcise the demon. And actually, that's not right. Exorcism sounds like something that takes a lot of effort. Jesus was the Lord of creation. When he says out, they go out. There is no ritual. It's just a command from the God of the universe. But Jesus is about to remove the demon. And Jesus looks at the father and goes, do you believe? And it says this in, John, in Mark nine twenty four. I want you to look at this. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. You see, it's not the quality of your faith, it's not the quantity of of your faith that saves you or assures your salvation. It's the object of the faith. It's who you put your faith in. It's who you trust for your salvation. You know, when you see little children come to Christ at young ages, they're not expert theologians at that moment. You know, they're not talking about all the complex theological terms and things like that, and they're not worrying about whether or not am I a pre-tribulation or pre-tribulation? They're not thinking that way. But they have put their faith in the Son of God. And they're, having done so, the fact is, their salvation is assured. They are eternally secure. And that's what's going on here. You may feel wobbly. You may have good days and bad days. But your assurance doesn't depend upon your feelings. It depends upon God. It doesn't depend upon your bulletproof confidence in God or your sinless perfection or how well you perform each and every moment of every single day. But it does depend upon in whom you've trusted. Have you trusted in the promises of God? Then whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. So I don't want you to suffer anxiety unnecessarily. I don't want you as a Christian who has received the greatest gift that anyone can ever receive To walk through each day of the week morbidly obsessing over, am I saved, am I not saved? I want you to be careful. Do not underestimate the power of God to save and to keep you in his kingdom. I want you to rejoice in the assurance of your salvation as a fact and not a feeling. I want you to enjoy what you have and who you belong to. Now, what I want to do here is is talk now out of both sides of my mouth seemingly okay you have 336 a and now we come to 336 B right, but we come to our second reality the first reality is to rejoice in the fact that your salvation is a fact and not a feeling at the same time I want you to understand that some people are naive about salvation or the assurance of salvation that's our second reality and a lot of times this has to do with the deficiency in terms of understanding the gospel and we and and Sometimes we hear people engage in God talk. They they believe in God. And we say, okay, they're Christians, they're believers. Sometimes I hesitate to use the word or ask the question, well, is this person a believer? You know, so-and-so's in the hospital. Were they a believer? Well, yeah, they believe in God. That's not what I mean. Are they a born-again Christian? You know, a believer is a born-again Christian, but sometimes when we speak the Christianese sometimes, when we use Christian terminology, we open ourselves up. And then there are some people who just want to wish their loved one into the kingdom of heaven. But what we see here in John 3.36 is something we don't want to be naive about. And what does John 3.36 be? What does the second half of that verse say? The first half says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And the second half says, there's like an invisible but there. But whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now, why why is that there? It's there to remind us of the fact that anybody can claim to be anything. And sometimes we can deceive ourselves into believing we're something that we're not. And so it's a word of caution. It's a word of care. And it's there because God loves us and he wants us to be clear on things. Now let me tell you what this verse is not talking about, the second half. Because people see that, okay, whoever has faith in the Son has eternal life whoever does not obey the Son will not see life. It's not talking about works salvation. It's not talking about being good enough to get into heaven. But you see, the facts versus feelings thing cuts two ways. It's a fact that if you put your faith in Christ, that you have eternal life. And it's a fact that if your life is characteristically one of disobedience and rebellion, that you haven't put your faith in Christ, and you won't see life, you won't see the kingdom of heaven, you won't get anywhere near it, because the wrath of God is still on you because you're not his child. And this isn't self-contradictory here. What's going on here is that there are times where we deceive ourselves. We want someone we love. We want to believe that they're a Christian when they're not. You know, a lot of times in this world of easy believism, you you, know, you get down there with your child as a parent and say, You love Daddy? You love Mommy? Well, Mommy and Daddy love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? You know, can you, do you love dinosaurs? Can you fly? I mean, you know, a child will do or say anything you want them to. And then we walk away and we get them baptized when they're six. And then we're like, great, they're saved. And then they go on to live a life absent God. And we keep clinging to this profession of faith they made when they were six years old or four years old or 10 years old or 12 years old or 15 years old. And there is no indication of spiritual life. They, li- they, they live their lives as if God doesn't exist and as if they don't care. Which brings us to the, the language here of this verse. But whoever does not obey the Son will not see life. The word obey here, in some translations it says the one who rejects or the one who does not believe. The word obey here is a Greek word and it's apotheon, okay? And, you know, when you put all the, you know, the um, inflection in there, you miss how to spell it. You would spell it in English, A-P-A-T-H-E-O-N. And what word is bound up in there somewhere? Apathy, all right? So the one who has faith is assured of their salvation, and the one that is apathetic and uninterested and disinterested and absent God will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. There's an old saying, you are saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never lonely. James puts it this way, faith without works is dead. It's not that works save, it's that when you are saved, you begin to, sh- to change, to look differently. Uh, and that's what's going on here. Jesus puts it this way in Luke 6, 46. And why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? He puts it this way in John fourteen fifteen and John fourteen twenty three: If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Well, what about other people who've never heard the gospel and don't know any better? What about, what about good people who are just ignorant of the gospel? There's no such thing. There's no such thing. Why? Number three, because there is no neutrality. There is no neutrality. There aren't good people and bad people and people in between. That's a human construct. A lot of times, as human beings, we like to sit in judgment over God and the way that He works and what He writes in His Word and the way that He operates. And so we come up with these scenarios, but we're asking the wrong question because we're looking for the wrong answer. That's why that Christian thinker turned that question on its ear. Why do bad things happen to good people? No, why do good things happen to bad people? In Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6, it makes it very, very clear that the heavens are, portray- are declaring the glory of God and day to day pours forth speech, and there's no place where their voice isn't heard. Those who have truly experienced the grace of God, those who have surrendered to Christ, those who have surrendered their whole person to Christ, will begin to live out and manifest and demonstrate a love for God. But if they are characterized by disobedience, apathy, disinterest, and uninvolvement in the things of God, and whatever they professed back there you know sometimes people do things in desperation to get themselves out of a jam sometimes people do things because they don't understand it but somebody asked them to when i was 12 years old somebody asked me to pray a prayer which i did cuz when you ask a little boy do you want to go to hell most of them don't raise their hand and say yes so i prayed a prayer i had no idea what i was doing and i lived my life for about a year or two cuz i went to a christian school outwardly moral but inwardly unchanged. And then when I changed schools and eventually went off to the University of Georgia, which is not known for its spirituality, who I was became very obvious. I remember dealing with a family in a previous church. Their son made a profession of faith. They rushed him into baptism. And then after that, he just lived a life of just willful disobedience. And the father kept saying, well, you know, he's just going through a phase. Well, sin is not a phase. You know, sin is a condition. Eventually he went to prison, eventually he denied the faith, and his postings on Facebook, uh, if they don't border on the obscene or just basically obscene and blasphemous. So I want to say to you parents, you know, keep presenting the gospel to your children. We started our kids out, I mean, the moment they could understand. I was talking about Jesus, Terry was talking about Jesus. We were singing songs, we were saying things to them. We were trying to indoctrinate them and brainwash them toward the kingdom. You know, you labor like it depends on you, and you sleep like it depends on God. But, you know, at the same time, don't take it for granted. We must not be naive. People are filled, churches are filled with people. That's why Jesus, with people who are outwardly religious, but they have had no inward change. That's why Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, workers of lawlessness is not a happy job title, okay? But these people were outwardly religious, but they did not, they weren't characterized by obedience. I'm not talking about sinless perfection, but they weren't characterized. Apparently, they did stuff for God but there was something not right with them in their heart. When you're right with God, when you have put your faith in God, when your salvation is assured, you're different. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things are becoming new. If you're saved, if you're born again, it should show. And the person who is disinterested, disobedient, and largely unchanged is likely unsaved that doesn't mean that seeds haven't been planted it doesn't mean that seeds won't be watered and it doesn't mean there won't be a harvest but let's not be naive just praying a magical prayer or God talk doesn't make a Christian doesn't matter when they were baptized or how many times they were baptized if they haven't put their faith if they haven't surrendered their will if they haven't given their heart to Jesus then their salvation is not assured. It's not just believing a set of facts. So be careful. Don't be naive. Let's not be naive about someone's alleged Christianity when their eternity is at stake.
0: Pastor Keith Crosby. On this special edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast,
1: hello, everyone, and thank you for listening today in the uncertainty of the covid nineteen crisis, many people within the Hillside Church community and all over Santa Clara County are in the middle of financial hardship, and we need to pray for them and We would ask you to pray for us as well. We want to thank you for listening and supporting this ministry, but it is a listener supported ministry and And as much as we covet your prayers, we also ask you to consider a financial contribution to the ongoing work of this radio broadcast. Grace to Live Radio provides encouragement to so many people in the outside world who can't make it to church. And you can be part of that ministry by supporting us financially as you support us prayerfully. This is Keith Crosby, and I want to thank you for your prayers and your encouragement.
0: If you have questions about today's show, or if you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Keith, then I would encourage you to visit our website, hillsidechurch.org. There you can listen to past sermons and other content from Pastor Keith just by clicking the Sermon Archive tab. And you can also find links to Pastor Keith's blog, as well as the Out of My Mind podcast. The website is also a great place to connect with us here at Hillside. You can find information on our service times, ministry opportunities, And, of course, you can browse our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and much, much more can be found by visiting our website, hillsidechurch.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time on Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening.